This podcast is supported in part by Australian Ethical. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. We're recording this episode of Irrational Fear on the land of the Gadigal in the Eora Nation. Sovereignty was never ceded. Let's start the show. The following program contains rude words like Mark Latham, blockchain, and Twitter. Irrational Fear recommends listening by immature audiences. Comedians, experts, laughing at the world as it burns down around us. This is a rational fear. Tonight, South by Southwest Sydney is voted the most picturesque place to queue for 45 minutes and not see anything. And the ICC is taking sustainability seriously by only having one takeaway coffee cart per 10,000 people. After thinking they were coming to see a real talk about the future, most people in the audience will leave to go see a hologram of Nicole Kidman eat a packet of silicon chips at the Cockle Bay Theatre. It's the 20th of October 2023 with more artificial intelligence than Clive Palmer. This is Irrational Fear! This is Welcome to Rational Fear. I'm your host, former head of customer security at FTX, Dan Illich. And welcome to Rational Fear live at South by Southwest Sydney. It's a festival that celebrates leaders and innovators who are making an optimistic future. This is my third South by Southwest. I love this festival. It's it's kind of a futuristic utopia, you know, to be around 10,000 people who are A-type personalities who all convince their boss to buy them a ticket. You know, that's utopia in my book. It doesn't get much better than that. And we've got some intelligent guests here tonight to imagine the future. Let's meet our fear mongers for tonight. They are a science communicator, drag king, Twitch streamer, and they recently appeared on the ABC's War on Waste. It's Lee Constable. <laughs> Lee, do you have much crossover in your audiences? Um, yeah, nah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Not much. And he's a strategist, media expert, and when it comes to fake news, he's literally written the book from Populares, Ed Cobar. Yeah. Thank you, Dan. Ed, you've written a book on fake news, but you are also a regular guest on Sunrise. How do you reconcile that? <laughs> you've got to know your subject, Dan. <laughs> and she is a writer, journalist, opinionist, media firebrand. Look at her the wrong way and she'll ram thoughts about beach cabanas down your throat. <laughs> it's Antoinette Latouf. <laughs> Antoinette, why do you have such strong feelings about throwing shade? <laughs> You know what, beach cabanas, are, like, they're a really important and unresolved issue. I just think we need to give them more attention. <laughs> and he's formerly a chaser boy, but after undergoing a procedure called the March of Time, he's transitioned <laughs> to a chaser man. It's Chris Taylor. Thank you very much. If you can get that memo to Jared Henderson, I'd really appreciate it. <laughs> Why do you think the chaser boy tag has stuck so long? I don't know. It, it's embarrassing. We're all in our 70s now. It's, um, I think on our gravestone, if we make it to 90, he'll still be Chaser Boy. He made it to 90. And on the pots and pans, we've got DJ Dylan Bain from the podcast Newsfighters. Coming up later, we're going to be getting stuck into the various versions of the future in Australia and New Zealand. But right now, I thought we'd take a trip down memory lane. You know, South by Southwest is such a great place to get, catch a glimpse of what could be coming down the line when it comes to tech and science and the arts. But let's luxuriate in nostalgia for a little bit for two things that didn't quite make it into the future that were quite big at previous South by Southwests recently. This is uh, part one of The Future Didn't Make It. Part one. The metaverse. Yes, um, <laughs> Facebook's answer to the question, what would it be like to be trapped in a room full of people you haven't spoken to since school but now look like Lego? Uh, that has cost the company over $36 billion. That's 36 with a B. You could buy 30 ABCs with that or one slightly used nuclear submarine. Um, it is a lot of money and Facebook investors are, are like begging Mark Zuckerberg to stop trying to make virtual reality a reality. Instead, Z investors want Zuckerberg to focus on Meta's core businesses, which are oh. messaging, fake news and inciting genocide. Um, <laughs> so, oh, oh, big genocide fans over here. <laughs> so great to have Rohingya population in the, in the house. Dan, it just, it upsets me so much to hear that Mark Zuckerberg is losing money. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Anybody else really upset about that? I don't know what the hell you're wearing around your head. Are you currently in the metaverse? Uh, yeah, I'm actually in... Uh, this is this is one of the things that didn't make it. Also, a Google Glass. Um, I bought it specifically for this gig off eBay. It cost me $200 and it doesn't work. Um, <laughs> how, many, how many... How many billions did you say? 30, 36 billion. $36 billion oh. and Mark Zuckerberg still couldn't find a way to animate himself in the metaverse to look more animated and real than he does more in the like, real world. More, more tanned, at least? Yeah. Like, well, Fearmongers, why do you think the metaverse hasn't taken off? I think it's because, you know, they took a lot of data, but most of what I gave them in the early days was just 300 photo albums of me at Mooseheads in Canberra. <laughs> <laughs> and that didn't seem to be useful for business. <laughs> Great for Mooseheads, though. Oh, yeah. It's still yeah. thriving. Ed, what do you reckon about this? Oh, I'm very disappointed. I was looking forward to the metaverse being the only place I could own property. So <laughs> I'm really back to square one there. How much is a studio apartment in Sydney in the metaverse? <laughs> That's a really good question. I don't know. I've got no idea. I don't even know what the metaverse is. These headsets are going to cost like $3,000 each. So that's the entry. That's like a deposit to the metaverse. Hang on, Dan. Are we in the metaverse now? Ooh. 
Maybe. Wasn't the main Take off your glasses for a second. <laughs> no, I would never dare agree. I just, I, I'm a bit like the rest of the panel. I don't really understand what it is. And when it first launched, I didn't get it at all. But I remember they put out that video and, and Zuckerberg himself was extremely prominent in that launch video. And I think the reason it failed is... Who on earth would want to live in a universe in which Mark Zuckerberg is the only other person who would be able to <laughs> Walking around challenging to fights in the diamond ring. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sometimes I don't know what bathroom to use, but if I opened the door and he was standing there, I'd know it was the wrong one. <laughs> You'd still go, though, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah. yeah. All right, things that didn't quite make it in the future, part two. Uh, Non-fungible tokens, NFTs, or, oh, or pictures of dumb things that white guys paid stupid money for. Um, how do I know this? Uh, I have bought some NFTs. Um, <laughs> these are my NFTs from serenade.co. Wow, look at them. So valuable. Uh, so useful. Incredible. You know, I had the foresight to pay about £10 each for some of these, um, just so I could talk about them on stage at South by Southwest at some point. Did you um, say £10? Yeah. This, what this, era do you live in? <laughs> <laughs> I live in the future. This is, oh, we're going yeah, back yeah. to pounds. We're going back to pounds. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know if you know, our country's very regressive lately. <laughs> I had a nose. We'll end up there. We'll end up there. Oh, big shout out to, to regressiveness. Um, that's really good. <laughs> that in genocide, we just like, this audience is a hoot. Oh, <laughs> that's our audience. That's our audience. The saddest things are the funniest to these people. Um, yeah, so look, yeah, 10 pounds. These were great British pounds. I bought these for, for the Brits. Anyway, so if you don't know, uh, non-fungible tokens, I'm sure everyone in this audience knows, but people listening at home are essentially pictures that people paid a few bucks to a few million bucks for for basically the right to say that you own it. It's basically a spreadsheet with a thumbnail. That's what, that's what non-fungible tokens are. Here are some of the most expensive ones. Uh, this one is a 3D render of a horse statue, sold for 100 million. This MS bit pad, paint, paint bit pap, a bit, a bit map of a dude, sold for 11 million. This screen cap of source code from the original World Wide Web sold for 5.4 million dollars. Even South by Southwest last year in 2022 had NFTs as official merch. You could pay South by Southwest 15 or 20 bucks to get your own Batfan NFT. Um, I don't know what you're going to do with it. You can only look at it at a certain website, you know, anytime you want. Um, what do you do with yours? Uh, they're just sitting on that website. I don't know what to do with them. Just right. gaining shillings by the minute, you know. <laughs> <laughs> now, look, if your head hurts and you have no idea... Yeah, NFI. If you have no... Yeah. <laughs> NFI. But we can explain that, Dan, the, the value that someone... that Something that nobody else owns... Speak about your Google Glasses. I mean, you paid 250 bucks for them, right? Yeah. It's like an NFT in real life. <laughs> I'm happy to sell these for $205 if anyone wants <laughs> it in the audience tonight. Well, here at South by Southwest Sydney, we are uh, pushing the boundaries. We too are ready to launch something right here on stage. You all know about non-fungible tokens, but today we are launching very fungible tokens. Uh, I'm very excited about it. If you want to right now, you can go ahead and take a picture of this QR code and you'll get access to a folder of random pictures that I've taken off the internet and from my own personal hard drive and you can download my very, the very first fungible tokens right here on South by Southwest. Let me tell you what you get in this fungible token pack. You get this Peter Overton meme, um, which is great. You get a photo of Dr. Carl's hat that I took at Splendour in the Grass that says, say perhaps to drugs. Um, you get a photo of this snow informer meme that I took on the side of a, of a parking meter. Um, 
a receipt uh, from... Oh, you get this Spider-Man GIF, um, which is very good. Uh, oh, yeah, here you go. You get this receipt for this NFT that I paid for. Uh, I actually... You also get a picture of some bored apes I made this morning in Discord um, using, using Midjourney. That's very exciting. on and off mode. That's it, yeah, yeah. You also get this very, very expensive NFT. This is a copy of the world's most expensive NFT sold at $560 million. And you get it as well. It's amazing. You also get your very own limited edition South by Southwest bat meme of me designed by cartoonist Edmund Ifland and guess what the total value of these NFTs are nothing Woo! it's amazing but the best part is it's 100% fungible Yay! it's amazing it's amazing oh, I thought I thought you'd be more excited than that I was really excited. you know the best thing about the market falling out of the whole NFT thing is I just hope we never have to hear the word fungible again. <laughs> I don't know what it means it, sounds, it sounds like a rash it's, like it, it sounds, doesn't sound it doesn't good does it? you know like people don't like the word moist fungible is worse than moist <laughs> Depends on the context. I think it believes you, you, it means being able to trade or swap. Thank you, ladies. Or swap Thank you. <laughs> it's, this cake is really fungible. <laughs> Chris, it's very obvious. It's able to be funged. Oh, oh yeah. I should point out these these memes you can funge any way you want. Just um, yeah, funge them any way you want. Um, you know, when I was preparing this bit, my partner reminded me that in 2019, when we went to South by Southwest, um, I was mansplaining to her that oh yeah, you know, every year there's a whole bunch of stuff that is really big at South by Southwest, but disappears the following year. But um, you know what? This year it's TikTok. Um, <laughs> Do you know what remains really big though at South by Southwest every year? Egos. Have you seen? The, have you seen the LinkedIn posts, the self-congratulatory LinkedIn posts? Seen them. I've done. I, I, I've done about five. Myself. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it's just. Anyone wants a bit of entertainment, go on LinkedIn. Like, there's only so many ways you can start a post with, like, so humble to be involved with. And yet, and yet we managed to do it in five yeah. different ways. Within I didn't fly all the way to Austin just to not humble brag about it. Thank you very much. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Well, it's very exciting now to talk about the future of things. Now we can put the past behind us. Talking about the future of leadership, we have the one and only Antoinette Latouf. Thank you, thank you. So yes, I'm going to talk to you about the future of leadership because for too long it's been in the hands of old things. They're pale, stale, male in the US, very, very stale. Um, and bar a few exceptions like Jacinda Ardern, the former New Zealand PM we all loved, and that former Finnish Prime Minister whose name I can't remember, but I will forever <laughs> remember that she dances like a dirty little minx um, into the wee hours of the morning. Um, how dare she make it so easy for the rest of the world to slut shame her. So you might, be, you might guess what's going on here. I see the future of women to be female, but not just any woman. There's a very specific type of woman who can take on all of the challenges of the world. So she's the type of woman that has 97 WhatsApp groups. She started all of them. She's the type of woman that can mobilise the masses. She's the type of woman who show up early, she'll leave late. She's got an army of similar-minded women who'll turn up, do the work, rain, hail or shine. She's able to manage any crisis with grit, agility and has the ability to stand down a rowdy spectator double her side. Armed with a whistle lanyard, a first aid kit, a large container of oranges cut in quarters, the future of leadership, ladies and gentlemen, is a netball mum. <laughs> yeah, pull her out for the netball mum. Yeah. We've got a couple of 
couple of netball mums here nodding furiously. Yeah. The is in safe hands, ladies. So I'm going to tell you why netball mums should be in charge of the joint, why they are the future of leadership, because they never seem to run out of juice just as much as they like it getting on the juice. So first... The first motion, I think, by netball mum leaders will, to, will be to get Chardonnay and Sauvignon Blanc to join the PBS, the 925 medicines on the PBS. I reckon next up would be Azempic. The Azempic patent would be lifted. There are 22 patents protecting this drug, and yes, they'd be scrapped in the first, um, I reckon, in the first month of netball mums being in charge, because yes, exercise is super important for health and well-being, but being skinny is more important, especially if you want to outdo those other bitches from the rich suburbs who come in those fancy cars. Um, society would benefit more. Uh, would have more structure and better time management. Uh, you bring in the ladies that organise the annual netball gala for six to 60-year-olds. Cost-effective too. Forget plying millions into PWC. They just need clipboards, a bucket of Sharpie highlighters and that PBS Chardonnay on ice, and I'll make public service as efficient as an IKEA designer. <laughs> okay, in a few, okay, but it's not only about the trivial things for netball mums. Uh, we could end some of the biggest challenges of the world, I reckon, like Gaza and Israel. Um, according to UN Women, if you put a woman in charge, they're more likely, when it comes to conflict, um, to ensure that peace or any resolution lasts for more than two years. That's pretty impressive. Um, but that's anyone. That's not the netball mums. Because they've been brokering peace between parents on the sidelines and managing the politics of whether it's okay for the coach's daughter to be captain of the northern suburbs <laughs> under, 20, under 14 teams three years in a row. So there's a saying that if women ruled the world, there'd be no wars, just a lot of jealous countries not speaking to each other. <laughs> but I'll raise them one. In a future where netball mums run the world, Sure, there wouldn't be any wars because that's too much mess. Who's going to clean it up? There's probably going to be 500 NATO-style organisations that at least one country wouldn't be invited to. Everyone would bitch about them, but they'd be friendly as fuck to the other 499. <laughs> if you don't know why I'm mad at you, Canada, I'm not going to explain. Um, but seriously, it'd be hard for press to find a more territorial and parochial bunch than netball mums. So they have skills that, you know, they make the shots. Who's on the bench? The always controversial game draw, the roster of who's bringing the food and the first aid kits, what happened when violent conflict erupts on the field. So send these netball mums to sort out Gaza and Israel. They'll reach a two-state solution by Saturday afternoon. <laughs> Thank you, Antoinette. Is it just netball mums? I mean, is there something that soccer mums can learn from netball mums? No, I, I, there's this, this particular, particular type of woman that is a, that is a netball mum. Um, there is a certain ferociousness that comes with being a netball mum that I just don't think soccer mums have. Mm. Chris, you're going to become a, I assume, a netball a dad netball soon. Netball mum, oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm coming out today. No, yeah. So, yeah. Are you looking forward to becoming a netball dad? Yes, I th uh, netball's the one where you can't move. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, Excellent. Which is, which is quick. This is just proving really. Antoinette's thesis absolutely <laughs> yeah. crystal clear. Actually, Dan, I became a netball dad this year. Oh. Actually, it was my first year of netball under sevens, and uh, I work in politics. I've got to say, I learnt more about politics in this year on the netball court yes. uh, than the entire career in politics, but I haven't learnt anything about the netball rules because those <laughs> are still going way over my head. Often the netball mums are also refs, and I was a GD you know, give me a yule if you understand <laughs> what that means. Yes. Uh, and there's nothing so shameful, and I think 
countries who are getting up to no good would feel this too, than a netball mum blowing the whistle and saying, obstruction, three feet, stand aside. (laughs) (laughs) Guns down. Uh, Excellent. Next up, we are joined by a very special guest who was unannounced on the panel. Uh, They are from the far reaches of mid-north Queensland, here to talk about the future of climate change and climate change conspiracies is Milton Mango. Uh, Please give it up for Milton Mango. G'day. Welcome. G'day, blokes and folks. Uh, it's good to be here. Oh. G'day. Hi. It's great to be here. Welcome, Milton. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to talk about the future of the climate. Um, I know we're having a lovely time here, having a bit of a, a, bit of a chuckle, which is good. Uh, but to bring the mood down a little bit, if we're talking about the future of climate, there are different scenarios the IPCC is uh, projecting, <laughs> depending on what we do, how many, you know, air fryers we get to replace our, <laughs> our bloody gas oven because the landlord won't do nothing, um, <laughs> etc. and so forth, and other equally ambitious things. Um, so... You know, there's these five scenarios in the IPCC report, and I have read that report, Mm -hmm. um, as we all have. Mm -hmm. (laughs) As we all have. Um, But there is one scenario that doesn't show up, uh, young Daniel, and I think that you... I'm a man, you know, of science and evidence, and I do like to weigh things up. And, you know, I'm just here to ask some questions about whether we need to consider a sixth scenario where it actually bloody is a hoax, masks off, <laughs> Greta Thunberg isn't who she says she is. Ah, we gotcha. Ooh, got him. How good would that be? How bloody good. We don't dare to dream of that scenario six, but I'm here today to say maybe we should. Uh, so, yeah, we've, we've got... Uh, a, a lot of things to learn about hoaxes. I think, you know, there's a bit of a misunderstanding about what a hoax means. I looked up the definition, as I said. I'm a man of science and evidence, yes. Uh, it means a hu- it can be humorous or malicious deception. And I think you'll find this, this is a pretty humorous one, if you think about it. <laughs> They're playing funny buggers with us, everyone. And I think you'll find when the masks come off, you will be surprised by who has been pretending to be a climate scientist and who has been, you know, just just playing a bit of funny buggers with us. You know, have we ever seen Tim Flannery and Gina Reinhardt in the same place? (laughs) I'm just asking questions. Uh, So, yeah, Dan, I I just wanted to bring this to everyone's attention uh, so that you can can really consider it and, uh, you know, otherwise you'll all have a bit of free-range eggs on your face at the end of the day and none of us want that. (laughs) Thank you, Milton. Thank you. Milton, um, just a few few questions, if you can. What's the benefit of pretending to be a climate scientist? Well, as we know, uh, they're rich. (laughs) Uh, We know that uh, they have very long-term contracts, up to three years, a lot of these scientists. (laughs) Um, 
<laughs> you know, they they really get to reap the benefits of of always saying they're busy writing these things in their spare time because apparently they're not paid. But but I don't believe that for a second. Like, have you seen them? They're on LinkedIn now. More and more. <laughs> so what about what about um, uh, the evidence? Like, how how do you how can you disregard so much overwhelming evidence, Milton? That you know this is actually happening. Yeah. Well, I thought the same, Dan. I have to say, I was a um, climate denial denier. Uh, myself. <laughs> um, but I spent a bit of time on, on TikTok Live. I do a bit of manscaping on TikTok Live. And, um, and I have to say, this two-way communication with the online community really posed a few, a few good points, like that it is a means of control. Mm. Um, you know, look at you all here, sitting down. Green carpet, <laughs> you know? Is that any mistake? And it does feel like it's getting warmer, but there are means to make that happen too. I might just loosen my collar, let the old Eve's apple out. (laughs) (laughs) Do you guys have any questions for Milton? I'm I'm interested in your manscaping videos on TikTok. Yeah, well, as you can probably tell, I'm only only an apprentice manscaper. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, I get on there... You know, we, we manscape. Uh, clearly, I'm ready to do another one soon, as, as you mentioned. And we just have a chat. We talk about what's happening in the world. We talk about science news, climate news. And, um, yeah, it's really changed my perspective on things. Milton, if you met Greta Thunberg in the street, what would you say to her? I'd say, take it off. <laughs> Come on. To be very serious, Dan, we, we study this in the misinformation space. We call this the Scooby-Doo theory. It's, uh, it's well studied and, and Milton's a good example of uh, everyone to understand exactly what that looks like. I have always said that I am an example to the people. <laughs> Thank you, Milton Mango. Next up, cars. They're going to be a big part of our future and there's no better person to talk about transportation than a man who I've known for about 20 years but I've never, ever seen him drive. Please give it up for Chris Taylor. Thank you very much. Um, You know, you're right, Dan. I I wanted to talk today about something which I have very little knowledge. Um, Indeed, consistent with all of South by Southwest talks, I wasn't going to let my lack of expertise... (laughs) prevent me from talking at considerable length and more importantly at considerable volume about something of which I know very little. This is what you get for your $2,000, people. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm going to talk to you about the future of the motor vehicle after reading in the news this week an alarming report about car parks across Australia agreeing to widen the width of car spaces, this is true, to accommodate the growing number of large SUVs on our roads. As if a trip to the Westfield car park wasn't already hellish enough. (laughs) Starting from next year, as a matter of national policy, we can now look forward to fewer car spaces and even less room to manoeuvre to make room for the surging platoons of Mossman mothers for whom a trip to Harris Farm is utterly uncontemplatable in anything less than a monster truck. (laughs) Widening car space, it's such an Australian solution, isn't it? 
While other countries have introduced congestion taxes and invested in public transport to get cars off the road, Australia's gone completely the other way. Not only rolling out the red carpet to the biggest polluting cars on the market, but now even giving them extra legroom whenever they want to park their 3,000 kilogram asses. <laughs> Where did they all suddenly come from? All these oversized SUVs, dual cab utes and US style pickup trucks. Netball mums. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. 15 years ago, the second family car of choice for most Australian households was a Holden Barina. Today, you could literally fit four Holden Barinas inside <laughs> these Megatron bloated bullfrogs of the road. And as anyone who drives on Sydney roads knows, there's always been a direct corresponding relationship between the size of a vehicle and the fuckwittery of the driver behind its wheel. Am I right? No one courteous or selfless ever drives these vehicles. I swear, you could take the most angelic person on earth, like Mother Teresa or, or Maggie Beer. Let's make, let's make it Ma Maggie Beer. I guarantee that if you put Maggie Beer behind the wheel of a Mitsubishi Outlander, in less than 10 minutes, she'd be a total arsehole. <laughs> Pegging quinces at you from the window, swinging verjuice as she rides it right up your ass. That is a Maggie Beer that Australia is not ready to see. <laughs> Now, it's the slippery slope that I'm worried about. Widening car spaces only encourages these people, emboldening their entitlement and reinforcing their belief that the environment should always be adapting to their needs, not the other way around. Soon they'll be wanting cars three times as wide, three times as tall and three times as long. Remember those stretch hummers back in the 90s whose sole purpose, as far as I can gather, was to ferry Gold Coast bogans to the year 12 fall. <laughs> before going out of business because not enough Gold Coast Bogans made it to year 12. <laughs> well, well, I'm sorry, we're not far off from those stretch hummers being the standard length of all future family vehicles. The Toyota Land Cruiser of today will look like a mere thimble compared to the Toyota Land Cruiser of tomorrow. This is a future where the daily school pickup at Winona will look like a convoy of cattle road trains stretching from North Sydney all the way to Newcastle. A future where SUVs will become so wide there'll only be room for two lanes on the Harbour Bridge with the bonus option for drivers of engaging the all-terrain function to drive up and over the steel archway of the bridge mowing down whichever bridge climb tourists are unfortunate enough to be up there at the time. This is a future where all family homes will be 90% garage, 10% living space. A future where underground CBD car parks will only have room for three cars per level. So the car park landlords just have to keep drilling further and further into the earth's crust to make more levels. Convinced that that's an easier solution to the parking problem than simply persuading men with small dicks to buy smaller cars. <laughs> And so they keep drilling further and further into the Earth's core, only to collide with the American car park owners drilling from the other side. But still, the cars get bigger and the places to put them get fewer and fewer until one day when the Earth officially, officially doesn't have a single square metre left that's not covered by a giant car. Every river, every playground, every art gallery, every rainforest, they're all completely choked by war-to-war -war cars. And then, and only then, does Elon Musk extend an invitation for all of mankind to move to Mars, <laughs> just as soon as he's built a new Tesla mega car to fly us all there. <laughs> it's a bit like Q.
Is it attractive to get a, a bigger car? Are you thinking about getting a bigger car, Fear Mongers? Is, is that on the cards for 2023, 2024? I, I actually have a Mitsubishi Outlander, but I'll just take <laughs> it as Chris's lack of knowledge of cars that it's about half the size of, uh, of the big SUVs. Um, but we are running out of space, and I think that the only answer we can do is to move into the metaverse. So I'm looking forward <laughs> to getting a bigger car once we're safely ensconced there. I have a question for Chris. Since you haven't, you don't drive, or you I do drive. Well, I just am very bad at it. Or you haven't, <laughs> you haven't driven for a while. You haven't had a car. No, I, for years I didn't have a car. I've just got okay. one this year because I had a baby. Important, important question. What's your Uber rating? Because I can't get over the fact mine is 4.7. I'm trying to understand those who have a higher... Like, do you know what your Ubers... I, presumably you catch a lot of Ubers. Proudly 4.9. Oh, mm. oh. <laughs> What do you do? But I'm an Uber driver and I give lifts to myself. So I keep rating myself. I just want to know. Like, no. anybody got any tips on how you get a higher rating? What so am I, mean, I doing wrong? I think it's... I slam the door. Mm. It helps to talk to them. I do, a lot. So I'm like, is that it? I'm like, is that what's But not about beach cabanas. It can work either way if you talk to them, though. I think it's working the wrong way. And the other way around, sometimes they've just got a captive audience. They know where you live and you're headed there right now. And you're like, yes, yes, that is an opinion that I too hold. What's your Uber rating, uh, Lee Constable? I don't even know. Can I just checked mine. mine. Mine's 4.75, so I'm only slightly, uh, slightly better oh than Oh, my God, Antoinette. Dan, and your chat is worse than mine. Yeah, I just terrible. don't understand why mine's 4.7. I've just been explaining about the vagaries and the intricacies of how the voice would work for the last month to Uber <laughs> drivers, and, oh, that's probably dropped me a what few points. Yours? Mine's 4.86 by shutting up and saying yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ed, do you have yours? I think this is really important. I, I want to know if I'm this the is least likeable passenger. This is such vulnerable storytelling, isn't it? <laughs> it's great. We could be an episode of The Imperfects. <laughs> I just love that my appeal for more space and smaller cars has led to a discussion about Uber ratings. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, 4.83. We pivot, we pivot oh, 4.83. Oh, 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 yeah. We've got a bit of introspection. I've been Uber compensating. On the way home. <laughs> I wanted to ask, as someone with a baby and a car, what is the baby on board sticker about? You, I think it's the assumption that if people know you have a baby in the car, they'll be, like, less of an asshole driver around oh, you. I'm speeding up to look at the baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not the... Not the How the many mumps, you know, just mouthing it to them? Well, when it comes to the future, I often think about New Zealand. Uh, they are always ahead of us, mainly because of the time zone. Um, they're literally in the future. DJ Dylan Bain, you've got something we should be keeping track of over there for our Kiwi cousins. Yes, I don't know. Uh, a lot of people here were distracted with another vote that was on last Saturday night on The Voice. But, of course, the real game-changing election happened over in New Zealand where the uh, government changed and they're going to have a brand-new Conservative Prime Minister, uh, Christopher Luxon. Over in Aotearoa, former CEO of Air New Zealand. Now, the, I've been following the campaign, and the big rumour that was going around uh, as he used to be a CEO of Air New Zealand that is that uh, as CEO, he banned a a, a in-flight video, a uh, you know one of those safety videos because it had dinosaurs in it. He wanted the dinosaurs taken out. Supposedly, he doesn't <laughs> believe in dinosaurs, which led to some great questions on the campaign trail. Are dinosaurs real? And if you say yes, what's your favourite? I think a T-Rex, Tyrannosaurus Rex, <laughs> King of the Jungle. That's uh, the old fearsome dinosaur. What's your favourite dinosaur? 
T-Rex. I heard a rumour that you don't believe in dinosaurs. No, I, the, the T-Rex is a great dinosaur. Do you believe dinosaurs are real? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't answer the question. Do you believe dinosaurs roam the earth? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, that's, that's the new PM Lux in there. And it's not just prehistory he struggles with, it's also maths and spelling. He also displayed his small business skills. You're going to get $14 change, is that okay? Not up to $14. He came back with 16. <laughs> <laughs> Very simple question, how to spell cat? What's K-A-T? Just checking, just checking to make sure you look very smart. I'm just making sure. Yes, good luck. Good luck when he visits Queensland spelling Palaszczuk, that's all I have to say. And if, uh, if Christopher Luxon's kind of doofus persona reminds you of a certain former leader we used to have, well, don't worry, it's not like he disappeared off to Hawaii when everyone thought he was working, right? Or, or maybe he did. Christopher Luxon's coming under pressure for social media posts claiming he was in Tepuki when he was actually in Hawaii. Hey everyone, listen up. Today I'm in Tepuki, the heart of Kiwi fruit country. No, he wasn't. He was actually on a Hawaiian holiday. Oh, oh, I was with my family, as I tend to do in July. Yes, good luck with that. Proof New Zealand is actually five years behind Australia. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and uh, getting on to the campaign itself, I think there was one standout candidate's masterful use of social media who stood out to me, uh, which was the deputy leader of New Zealand First, Shane Jones. And didn't he master the art of TikTok with these inspired campaign videos? Go, 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 Shane Jones, it's my party. We're not a party, love it, it's my party. New Zealand First, go, it's my party. Do we really like your vote? Cause it's my party. Who do they call oh, the donut sucks? Who will fix the roads turning us apart? Who will they call the donut star? Shane Jones up the grass. I'm back and making Northland great again. Shane Jones, believe them. They can find us to the ceiling. And he actually won his seat. So, Anthony Albanese, <laughs> the ball is in your court for 2025. Back to you, Dan. It's like Thank you, Dylan. Was there. <laughs> well, on to Kiwi, from Kiwi democracy to democracies everywhere. Our interview guest is one of a new breed of political strategists who can see the full board and understands the view, understands the power of a good TikTok. Um, please give it up for Ed Coper from Populares. <laughs> Thank you. Ed, uh, what do you think of um, that, that guy's TikToks? Were they, were they I, I think it's worth giving the context that Christopher Luxon is in minority government uh. with some or more of those cookers and TikTokers uh, and possibly dinosaurs. We yes. don't really know the shape of, uh, of the outcome there. So he didn't win in his own right. And I'm sure this is a good, uh, you know, kind of a preview for what we're going to talk about. But uh, it will be one of the world's first cooker governments. Really? Oh my goodness. So do you think TikTok's, the TikTok strategy is a good strategy? TikTok strategy is, is a great strategy and I will give the example of the most recent thing I did before walking into this room uh, and that was I went upstairs and looked around the, uh, the expo. Uh, I came across a very sad Telstra uh, store. What do you call them? Yep. Stall. Yep. Uh, just looked like uh, the inside of a Telstra store. They were talking about the benefits of a 5G, 5G network in uh, rural areas. And then uh, all that the people... That was included in the $2,000 price ticket. For... <laughs> it was. Yeah, it right. was. And there was no... And, and that was it. 
Uh, and then across the other side of the room, there were hundreds of people lining up to get autographs of gamers and Intel had the, you know, competitive LAN gaming competition or I don't know what it's called these days and monster drinks and neon signs and everything. That's the TikTok, right? Yeah. And it's not a level playing field. So, you, you know, old political campaigns were run like the Telstra store. Uh, new ones can be run like TikTok. And where does the crowd go? That's what we like. Yeah. So, I mean, Australia just experienced a pretty disgusting election that bore results based on lies. Uh, if you're in our audience, you know how we feel about that. <laughs> can we expect more of this in the future? Yes. Oh, great, excellent. Well, thanks, Ed. Thanks for coming. Uh, thanks, Ed Cooper. No. Thanks for my TED Talk. <laughs> uh, what happened in the last month? What, what lessons can we glean from um, this referendum in terms of communicating to audiences? Uh, well, the big lesson we can take away is much broader than the issue of the referendum itself, and that is we are entirely mired in bullshit and it's very effective when packaged up and seeded and spread by people who know how to weaponise bullshit. And we just saw something that uh, went from public opinion support of about 65% uh, to end up at about 39% in a matter of months. That is unprecedented to turn around that many people's opinion in that short of time. How did it happen? Uh, a lot of really dodgy tactics, uh, a lot of the kind of monster drink land gaming style of campaigning, not the Telstra stall uh, style of campaigning. Uh, and none of it was true. It was all bullshit. It was designed to play on our fears, play on our emotions, trigger those, uh, you know, those baser parts of is our the, brains. Is, is, I mean, bullshit's not new. Bullshit's been around forever. Um, is the issue that where there was some regulation of political advertising in traditional old media, now it's just the Wild West and any old bullshit can be amplified in very prominent spaces? Bullshit is as old as the T-Rex, I think Christopher Luxon <laughs> would say. Uh, and so that, and, and bullshit in politics is not new either. Uh, and, and everyone will accept that fact. Uh, what's changed is bullshit used to exist on the periphery of a mainstream consensus-based form of getting information, i.e. turning on the TV news, opening the paper. That was our only source of information other than, you know, uh, word of mouth around the water cooler. Where do we get our information now? It's decided by that pasty metaverse guy uh, who's going who's gonna to write an algorithm and it will say, hey, you look like a neo-Nazi. You might be interested in these neo-Nazi groups and recommend uh, that you join them and recommend that content to you. That's a real example, by the way. Two-thirds of people in the US who belong to neo-Nazi groups on Facebook with, are there because of a platform recommendation wow. that they join the groups. But obviously, like, the Yes campaign has just as much access to Facebook and all these other platforms. Why, why does misinformation fly better than well, facts? fear. Fear and division is always easier to sell, and I think that's... They were able... I am not an expert in this, but I'm going to jump in because I have you read are, the book. You are an expert. And I have my cliff notes on it, and so I, I always pass off your knowledge as my own. Um, I, I do the same, Antoinette, <laughs> on, uh, so, so thanks. Yeah. I, as, as a woman of colour in media, <laughs> I really found your work quite inspiring. I hope none of this is triggering for you. I hope you're feeling that this is a safe space. Um, it, it is that people were believing that, you know, trying, trying to explain to my uncles that people weren't going to take their land, they weren't going to pay tax. It was impossible once they'd heard that, even if it was dispelled. Um, and so with my Ed Coper expertise on, well, there's this whole thing of pre-bunking. I don't think there was enough from the Yes campaign of pre-bunking in that 
Do we all know what pre-bunking is? Or I sound really smart. Some some nods here. Over to you, Ed. It's my new favourite word after fungible. Word. It's it's a very fungible concept. Yeah. Uh, you know, it'll be it'll be worth shillings on the dollar. Uh, look, it's it's very simple. That our brains will generally generally believe the first thing we hear about a new issue. And so if you wait until someone uh, hears some some nonsense that the voice is going to take your backyard and then you come out and say, here's a fact-checking article about how it will it not take your backyard, it's yeah. too late. You've got to get to them first and say what it is and say, be prepared, you may hear some bullshit about this. Yeah, and so with, with the Yes campaign's main line was 80% of Indigenous Australians support this. I suspect most people don't give a shit what Indigenous Australians want, unfortunately, such is the nature of our country. So it'll be like... Uh, I suspect, I'm not a political strategist, but if we're like, this does not impact your land, this does not impact your life, this does not impact your taxes, like... I'm interested. You know, you know, it's just like, uh, where, do I, yeah, where do I sign up? It's been really interesting listening to sort of overseas commentary about the result. I was listening to a podcast with Alistair Campbell, who was uh, the strategist for Tony Blair, and Malcolm Tucker was based on him, of course, and um, he's, he's become quite a smart analyst of politics, and... He was drawing the comparisons with Brexit, um, another referendum that failed and believed shouldn't have. He, he's of the view that no one, the referendums are dead. No government should ever take a referendum again because, because of the media climate we now find ourselves in. He can't imagine a world in which misinformation won't always defeat the case. Well, I'll, I'll go on further. It's not just referendums. Are all ideas dead? Are all policy reforms oh, hey, dead? Oh, Is it? I mean, we started with genocide. I thought this would be a perfect place to take it, right? So let me give you an example. Uh, having a gas stove top in your house is the equivalent of smoking a pack of cigarettes indoors if you've got kids around. They're breathing that gas, right? Probably a good idea to get rid of those. Also very good for the climate. Yeah. Uh, and great for a radio voice, guys. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's fungible. Uh, so the, you know, the Biden administration just thought they'd just start discussing the idea. It wasn't a policy. They said, hey, why don't we look at replacing these with electrification in the household? Within 24 hours, this whole ecosystem had gone into overdrive. You had Congress people, you had Breitbart and Fox News, you had conservative chefs, everyone coming out, and they were literally saying, from my cold, dead hands, you will never take my gas cooker. And it's quite the next hard day, to have a cold hand if you're holding a gas cooker. <laughs> <laughs> and quite dead. Yeah. Uh, literally the next day, the Biden administration came out and clarified they will not uh, replace gas stoves. They will never have that policy, and that's dead in the water. They're never going to introduce that as a policy. Great idea. They probably should. I think but that's Ted, Ted Cruz even put a bit of policy to Congress saying he wanted a gas freedom bill um, oh, and God. basically giving, <laughs> giving gas stoves more Fighting rights than women fight. in oh, America, yeah. which is amazing. <laughs> and probably installing them on these Uber SUVs that we can drive around and park in, you know, these massive I mean, spaces. It was gas that led us out of the pandemic, after all. Yeah. <laughs> Praise be to gas. That's yes. right, the, uh, the gas-led recovery. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I love the gas-led recovery. Who would have thought uh, that, that methane could solve a respiratory disease? It was amazing. <laughs> Can I link this all back to the metaverse now because there are thousands and thousands of friends who won't be able to listen to this because they're fake people on social media, <laughs> but they are the ones who... That's the other answer to your question, Chris. You know, why is this more effective now than it was previously? It's the method, not just the message as well. Message, fear, wonderful. Method thousands of fake accounts, mm. bot networks. They know how to game the algorithm. They know how to put it into this system that was supercharged during the pandemic with all these anti-vaccine, anti-lockdown people and they spread it like wildfire and it's very, very, very effective. So what's the strategy to combat that? Like how do you either get out ahead, 
with pre-bunking or combat it front on, like head on, like how do you solve this? I think we need to get rid of democracy. You know? <laughs> like, I wouldn't trust a vote again, like in a weird kind of way. Well, like, is there, it's is a very there... radical idea, but... Like Putin has it right. Yeah, yeah maybe. Chinelevant dictatorships. <laughs> China does not have this problem. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, very good question. Jokes and memes, obviously. Uh, was that a setup to me just to call out Dan's excellent work during yeah, the election? Yeah. Uh, if people have seen uh, the, the channel that was called FES uh, around it, ultimately not successful, but I think very impactful because what does it do? It talks to people in a way that actually resonates and connects with them. Uh, we generally don't put our brain into gear when we're on social media, uh, but a lot of these big, nationally important social issues and political issues are fought as if we're gonna rationally, you know, scroll through our feeds and consider the talking points. They, we don't, we gotta put it in jokes, we gotta put it in memes, and we gotta connect with people. Is that the, like, is that the future? Am I gonna be doing this for the next 10 years? <laughs> All hail President Illich. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, um, everyone, please give it up for Ed Coper. Now, to end the show, normally we end on a joke, but um, I, uh, unfortunately we have to do this uh, for a friend. We're going to run, and because it's South by Southwest, we're going to run a little digital experiment. I would love everyone to get their phones out for this. Uh, I saw my friend uh, Angela Lavoie-Pierre uh, earlier today, and she is big into AI reporting and, and things like that, and she's got this theory that if enough people Google something, um, they'll be, that there'll be this generative AI articles made about what people are Googling. So she asked me, she said, at your podcast, could you please get everyone to Google my death? Uh, so if you could please, and if you're listening to this podcast at home, it'll come out uh, tomorrow or, or the next day, please do the same. Go to, go to Google and type in Ange Lavoie-Pierre, L-A-V-O-I-P-I-E-R-R-E and death. Just do a Google search. Get this, Dan. I was halfway into typing Lavoie-Pierre and it predicted death was the next word I wanted oh. to write. Now, come on. In its defence, death is the only thing that's predictable other than taxes. So, <laughs> you know. Did anyone else have that experience in the audience? Like, uh, yeah, a couple of hands shown up already. All right. So, so what, what we have to do now is wait a few days and see if any AI-generated <laughs> articles are generated about Angela Lavoie-Pierre's death. Everyone, please give it up for Angela Lavoie-Pierre. <laughs> That is it for Irrational Fear. Please thank our guests, Antoinette Latouf, Lee Constable, Chris Taylor, Ed Cooper, DJ Dylan Bain, AJ Lamarck, our producer, Caroline Pedram, Vanella Kernerbone, all the amazing people here at South by Southwest, our wonderful Patreon supporters, Sennheiser Microphones, who made this kind of podcast happen, Australian Ethical, and Road Mike's my own personal sponsor. Until next time, there's always something to be scared of. Good night! Bye! This podcast is supported in part by Australian Ethical.